welcome to Base Camp for Men. I'm your host, Tony Rezac. This is a show that gives you insights and resources on how to live a more courageous life. We'll be looking at men, the current state of masculinity, and how to create a more inspiring narrative for all men. Welcome, and let's get started. Hello, Base Campers. I hope you're all doing well. For many in the truther movement, 9-11 was the first of many red pills. And for some of us, the events of 9-11 looked off, as in we could detect some sort of grand deception happening. But much of it was just gut instinct and intuition at that point. That is, until the architects and structural engineers started to analyze the data, their findings confirmed what the citizen journalists had known all along, that the official 9-11 narrative was a sham, a story that the deep state desperately needed you to believe as they invaded Iraq. Iraq for non-existent weapons of mass destruction, remember that? And then they went on to pass unconstitutional legislatures such as the Patriot Act to spy on, surveil, search without cause, and strip Americans of their God-given rights in the name of quote-unquote safety. My question after all these years is, who's keeping we the people safe from these psychopaths? And there are many different ways to talk about 9-11, and my guest today is a stone-cold expert. He's earned the bona fides. And for me, the smoking gun has always been and always will be Tower 7, a 47-story building that collapsed at free-fall speed from just a few small office fires. And I remember talking to a friend who just could not get his mind around what I was saying. I would ask him, John, what about Tower 7? And he would get that look that newbies get when confronted with the truth. You know the look. Combination of cognitive dissonance, the goat face of denial, looking like they need to run out of the room. And he would reply, um... An office fire collapsed the buildings, and I would continue. I would challenge him. I'd say, no, John, small office fires do not get anywhere near hot enough to melt steel structures. Listen to what you're saying. It's impossible. His only reply to my plea for reason and common sense was, well, that is what they said, so that's what happened. Uh-huh. Well, thankfully, we're way beyond these types of conversation, and thank God, base campers. And I rarely talk about 9-11 these days, not because it's controversial, I hardly think of it that way anymore, but because for me it's so obvious. Also, we have all sorts of other deception going on right now, and well, 9-11 seems like a long time ago, doesn't it? However, it still carries an AK-47 capacity to red pill whoever dares to look at the evidence with curiosity, discernment, common sense, and an ability to let go of any strong conditioning about our so-called leaders. If you go into your investigation with anything close to a Zen mind beginning, mind, I guarantee you will arrive at the exact same conclusions that we came to. It's about as obvious as third grade math. I've always wanted to do a proper episode on 9-11 as it was one of my most important and many red pill moments and events that made me who I am today. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Stand Up Now Apparel. Stand Up Now has amazing designs centered on God, family, freedom, and patriotism. They use only the softest cotton in their designs and have gear for the whole family. There's something for everyone, base campers. I know you're going to love their products. Go support them at www.standupnowapparel.com and use the code BASECAMP to receive a 10% discount and free shipping. And now, on to our interview. My guest today is San Francisco Bay Area architect Richard Gage, a member of the American Institute of Architects and founder and former CEO of Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth. He, along with his courageous wife, Gail, continued to lead the charge towards a real investigation into the destruction of all three World Trade Center skyscrapers on 9-11 at richardgage911.org. Here is my interview with Richard Gage. Okay, I am here with Richard Gage, architect, truther, patriot, Richard Gage. Richard, welcome to Basecamp for Men. It is great to have you on the show. Thanks, Tony. Awesome to be here with you. Absolutely. You know, you and I met uh, at uh, America Fest and we had, I purchased some of your your material and then I've been researching and I was really pleased to to see what you've got going on. You've been in the, in the 9-11 truther movement for a long, long time with a lot of expertise. Um, and I have been wanting to do an episode about 9-11 uh, for a few years. And I could just never, it just never quite materialized. I was working on a lots of other, you know, juicy material for people. And and when I saw you, it kind of clicked. And I said, hey, here's an opportunity uh, to, to address this and to talk about it. Um, and I was listening to some of your other podcasts and I thought it was really interesting. Like when nine 11 was unfolding, um, 
in the aftermath of it, you were much like the rest of us, right? You you watched the towers come down, um, but it wasn't like you had any kind of alarm bells or any BS detector going off for quite some time, right? Oh, oh yeah. I, I hadn't even heard until 2006 that there was a third tower that came down. I mean, I was shocked yeah. to, to, to learn this. Uh, at, <clears throat> the American Institute of Architects has 90,000 members, including myself. They didn't issue one uh, bulletin on the uh, free fall symmetrical destruction of a type one fire resistive uh, st steel frame structure. Mm. Uh, it, it's never, they said it came down by fire, but we've never, never had one of those happen. So it should have been the most studied failure ever. Right. So this was swept under the rug, Tony. Well, and you know, I was in New York city. I was living there at the time. Um, so I had a little bit different, like I was already, it sounds like you were really busy with work. I was already looking at all kinds of kind of alternative theories for things, right? So I I was kind of, I didn't think anything was suspicious when the towers came down. I thought, you know, airplanes caused it and it was probably this terrorist as they were telling us. But there, New Yorkers were kind of talking about what about that other building over there? What about Tower 7? Like, there wasn't a plane that hit that. So even though there wasn't this grand, like everybody's talking that it's not what it seems, New Yorkers under their breath were like, but what did, What do you think happened to Tower 7? Because nothing hit it. And they're, they're just saying it, it came down by a fire. That's weird. You know, so people were kind of talking about that. And then the other thing that got me a little like what is going on is I want to say it was like September it was still later that day, or it was maybe early the next day. And as you remember, we were just traumatized. Everybody's glued to their TV. You're watching it. You're like, I can't even believe what's going on. What does this mean? And then on CNN, the former CIA director, James Woolsey, this, this set off my alarm bells. He came on and basically said, look, Americans can expect more of this if they don't get behind what we're doing, what the CIA is doing to protect America. And I just remember going, what in the heck is he talking about? Like, it seemed like something that maybe they would scold you about as they're trying to jam through the Patriot Act, like maybe, you know, months later and here this guy was coming on. And so that to me, that was also something where I went, wait a minute, you know, something's going on here. I don't know what, but this there, this just seems weird. So that was my moment of, you know, uh, maybe I should start looking into this a little closer or start getting into who's got alternate alternative theories about this, because I'm starting to sense that maybe this isn't what we think it is. What was it for you and how long ago after the towers came down, were you kind of like going, uh, you know, my red pill moment of, wait a minute, let me look deeper into this. Yeah, I, I was on my way back from a construction observation meeting at uh, Akalani's High School in Lafayette, California, where I worked as an architect uh, and uh, in a firm of 14 people in Walnut Creek nearby. Mm -hmm. uh, this, uh, I, I was listening, and, and David Ray Griffin was on the radio being interviewed by Bonnie Faulkner. He's written now 14 books on the subject of 9-11 truth. And he was talking about the explosive evidence revealed in the 1,200, 12,000 pages of testimony uh, in the oral histories that weren't, we didn't even know about until August of 2005. And Graham McQueen, uh, professor from uh, Canada, had gone and read all of them and to find out what they said. And he pulled out the, the, witnesses of explosions at 500, excuse me, uh, how many, um, 386 altogether now. Mm -hmm. uh, and th there, most of them are talking about explosions before the towers ever fell down. They're talking about many of them seeing flashes of light before the towers ever began to collapse as we're told in the official narrative it's actually quite a, an explosive destruction but th this was a, a wake-up call to me and 
Professor Griffin was also discussing this third tower. And I was just shocked to learn that there was a 47-story skyscraper, part of the World Trade Center complex, uh, that that uh, seven hours after the Twin Towers came down, after other witnesses, not included in the, what we just talked about, heard explosions, it drops like a rock straight down uniformly, symmetrically into its own footprint mm-hmm. in under seven seconds. Wow, yeah. That just shocked me. I mean, yep. I'm going, whoa, wait a minute. I would have heard about this. Uh, I'm an architect. We we study these things, uh, failures of, of major uh, buildings like this, and the minor ones too. So uh, this was uh, just completely shocking. And of course, the official narrative came out, oh, this came down by normal office fires. Well, wait a minute. NIST is the National Institute of Standards Technology, and they were tasked by Congress to explain these collapses to the American people. Uh, and I'm going, wait a minute, normal office fires. Um, these, these were normal office fires. They were few, small, and scattered. If you look at the videos uh, on our website, mm-hmm. which, by the way, is richardgage911.org, which includes the collapse of this building. You got to see this, richardgage911.org, and some other documentaries there, including the one we made that's just the classic, uh, 9-11 Explosive Evidence Experts Speak Out. We show dozens of much hotter, larger, and longer-lasting fires in these buildings. And indeed, not one of them has ever brought down a steel frame fire-protected skyscraper. And it looks like the collapse of this building looks exactly like the old hotels in Las Vegas when they bring them down with explosives. And again, we have witnesses that heard explosives. Mm -hmm. So all this adds up to, given the 10 key features of controlled demolition, i.e. a sudden onset of the building, uh, straight down uniform uh, progression of collapse uh, that's required the only way you can do that is the patterned removal of column supports. And you have then uh, the free fall acceleration of this building straight down through the path of what should have been the greatest resistance, the 30,000 tons of or 40 of structural steel that's uh, standing in the way of any collapse and kept the mm-hmm. building upright. But all of a sudden, it's just not even there. NIST finally acknowledges this, but they don't acknowledge the implications right. of a free-falling structure. Uh, they deny it, in fact, for years. So we also have limited damage to adjacent structures. Uh, the total dismemberment of the structural steel frame. It's like a house of cards. I mean, this was a moment resisting steel frame building. And all of a sudden, it's 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 dismembered one column from another, one beam from another. The concrete is broken up and uh, expanding rapidly in clouds of pyroclastic-like clouds of pulverized concrete. That's extremely hot, by the way. Temperatures exceeding 3,000 degrees documented by the 9-11 Commission uh, testimonies and many, many, many others. We have extreme heat in all of, of this evidence which can't possibly be accounted for in the official narrative. Mm-hmm. But Appendix C of the FEMA report, which came out early in 2002, documents never-before-observed eutectic reactions, intergranular melting, a solid steel girder turning into Swiss cheese, mm-hmm. like we see in the World Trade Center 7 steel and is documented in this metallurgical examination. But when this took this investigation over in 2004, Two, they completely threw out all of this incredible evidence that FEMA had given us uh, in this uh, appendix C. Rapid oxidation, sulfidation, liquid iron. They're documenting molten iron. Where does molten iron come from? We haven't used iron in our skyscrapers for a hundred years. And normal office fires doesn't don't melt steel or iron. Right. So where did the molten iron come from? 
sulfur formed during this hot corrosion attack on the steel, they say. Steel members in the debris pile appear to have been partly evaporated in extraordinarily high temperatures. That takes 4,000 degrees, Tony. Mm. Where are we getting 4,000 degrees? Where are we getting 3,000? We can't even get 1,000 degrees from these uh, small scattered fires, much less 4,000. But these temperatures are documented. Uh, there's pictures of the crab claw excavators picking up the steel from deep in the pile, dripping with molten metal. Mm. Hot, yellow, hot, uh, and, and white hot temperatures. Uh, these colors are, are uh, indicating the temperature exceeding 2,500 degrees. That's what we get with the physics of molten metals. We can tell the temperature by its color. So we go to the U.S. Geological Survey. What do we find in their studies of all the World Trade Center dust? Billions of previously molten iron microspheres about the diameter of a human hair. They go, whoa, what are these? They're documented up to 6% of some of these samples are, are containing these molten iron microspheres. Well, how do they get molten? Not with office fires. How do they get iron? Uh, we haven't used iron again in our skyscrapers for 100 years. How do they get spherical? Well, when you do an experiment with thermite, an incendiary used by the military to cut through steel like a hot knife through butter, what you, what you get is a, is, a, is a conflagration of, of heat and light and, and molten iron droplets uh, stream out of there because of the pressure and they cool and they fall and that they, they, they form themselves into spheres by surface tension. That's what raindrops do for instance, and other aerosolized liquids. Could that be what's causing the toasting of the tops of these cars all around the World Trade Center uh, that uh, have no explanation in the, in, in the rational uh, narrative, irrational narrative provided by NIST? So then we go to the dust and we say, well, gosh, that was all evidence of ignited thermite. It can only be that. Is there any evidence of unignited thermite in the World Trade Center dust? Well, a team of eight international scientists led by Niels Herrett in Copenhagen do uh, lots of tests, and they were given independently collected samples of this dust. They find the same thing in all of them, these red and gray chips. Uh, and these are red on one side, gray on the other, dual layered, indicating that they were fluidly applied. They certainly thought they were paint. They look like primer paint, but they're attracted to a magnet. So they have a high iron content. They're going, whoa, let's uh, do some x-ray energy dispersive spectroscopy. And what do they find in the red layer of these chips? Iron and aluminum, the exact ingredients of thermite. So all these chips in all of their samples have this characteristic chemical composition, which is the composition of thermite. Uh, they get real curious now. They zoom in 50,000 times with an electron microscope. And what do they find? Nano-sized particles of iron oxide crystals, rhomboidal shaped, and flat aluminum platelets at the nanoscale, a thousand times smaller than the diameter of a human hair. Well, they get real curious then, and they put them in a differential scanning calorimeter. And what do they find? Uh, they find, I just want to make sure you're still there, Tony. Yep, I'm listening. Oh, good, because uh, I'm getting a call, and I wanted to make sure it wasn't you. No, it's good. They find in all of these, um, excuse me, in, in, in when they're ignited at uh, about 800 degrees uh, Fahrenheit, they issue what? Uh, they ignite, first of all, just like the peer-reviewed literature for super thermite does, invented prior to 9-11 by Lawrence Livermore Lab, Los Alamos Lab. Uh, and they, they, they issue molten iron microspheres. 
with the same chemical signature as the molten iron microspheres from the World Trade Center dust samples that were studied by the U.S. Geological Survey and by R.J. Lee, an environmental consulting group. So this is all documented very well in a in, in a 25-page peer-reviewed paper in the Bentham Open Chemical Physics Journal. It, did it all did all the evidence cause sort of a mass awakening in the architect and structural engineering communities? I mean, was it being passed around and talked about or was it still kind of a niche uh, fringe group that had that had seen the truth about it? I mean, I would think it would I would think it would have been the talk of the of the trade, so to speak. Yeah, you would. And building seven, too, but it was not. And neither is the evidence of high-tech uh, thermitic incendiaries in the World Trade Center dust documented by this team of eight international scientists. Mm -hmm. So we've got a real problem. What's their conclusion? The red layer of the chips is active, unreacted thermitic material incorporating nanotechnology, a highly energetic pyrotechnic or explosive material. So they've documented this is back in 2009. We've given we've been getting this out for for that long. Yeah. Uh, ever since it came out to uh, uh, elected representatives, the media, uh, and scientists and experts, we have this and all the other evidence that we have had, and no little to no resp response from uh, from our elected representatives. That's why we've given it to the U.S. attorney for a grand jury, special grand jury investigation uh, in uh, New York, uh, uh, Southern District of Manhattan. So we've got to have a real investigation, 60 exhibits of this evidence that we've only begun to discuss uh, here. We, all of that heat, uh, uh, that uh, evidence of extreme heat and thermite and nanothermite applies also to the Twin Towers. So it's in the 60 exhibits, the evidence for the explosive demolition of the Twin Towers as well. If you just look at the Twin Towers themselves, just with your own eyes, without any, um, uh, none of the official narrative filtering your common sense, you'll see that these are very explosive uh, demolitions uh, in the first three seconds, actually, it looks like Building Seven, a classic implosion. Mm -hmm. But after that, you you and 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 the first responders are describing all of these massive explosions. Again, 186 of them. Uh, you see upward, outward arching streamers, a geometry of fireworks, freely flying structural steel sections weighing four and eight tons landing up to 600 feet after being shot out of the towers at 80 miles an hour. So we have all of this evidence that is just damning to the official story because what it says is the upper part above the jet plane impacts drove the rest of the building down to the ground after weakening of the structural steel uh, by fires. And then it destroyed itself after it got all the way down to the ground. Uh, but that's not what happens at all. I mean, if you look at it, you find uh, it's really um, more like a Volkswagen running into a Mack truck. Uh, the, if you, does it matter if you drop the Volkswagen onto the upstanding Mack truck? No, the top part uh, of a structure is the lightest. It's a virtual pyramid. Mm -hmm. It can't possibly be destroy, destroy the cold, hard, heavier, intact, cold, hard steel below uh, without itself being destroyed. So the official narrative completely violates Newton's third law of motion. And if we stop and just look at the video, we can see that the top part does not drive the rest of the building down to the ground. It's been destroyed in the first three seconds. After that, um, what... If it were there, by the way, we would have, uh, we would see it. None of the photographs, none of the videos after three seconds show any top part destroying the part below. Mm -hmm. If it were there, it would have destroyed the few remaining 
core columns that are standing for six seconds, a thousand feet in the air. Uh, they weren't smashed uh, by this pile driver. No. So we have to go to the evidence and the eyewitness forensic testimony, uh, like, for instance, some of these oral histories. Uh, they, they say we, we felt th th these uh, first responders, we felt the ground shake. You could see the tower sway and then it just came down. Yeah. There's a specific order of events of, of these, most of these witnesses. All of a sudden, the ground just started shaking. Felt like a train running under my feet. The next thing we know, we look up and the tower is collapsing. Shortly before the first tower came down, I remember feeling the ground shaking. I heard a terrible noise. And then debris just started flying everywhere. Mm -hmm. I saw flash, flash, flash at the lower level of the building. You know, like when they demolish a building with each popping sound, it was initially an orange and then a red flash that came out of the building. Then it would just go all the way around the building on both sides. Saw a number of brief light sources being emitted from inside the building between floors 10 and 15. Now that's way down below in the building. He saw about six of these brief flashes accompanied by a crackling sound before the tower was collapsed. I saw a flash, 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 and then it looked like the building came down, says the assistant fire commissioner, Stephen Gregory, the FDNY. You ever see professional demolition where they set charges on certain floors and you hear the pop, 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 mm -hmm. and they heard that friggin' noise? Mm -hmm. That's when I saw the building coming down. An explosion appeared at the very top simultaneously from all four sides. Materials shot out horizontally, and then there seemed to be a momentary delay before you could see the beginning of the collapse. He's extremely specific here. So I won't read you uh, the rest of them because we're, we're on such limited time. Mm -hmm. But I encourage everybody to look at the documentary on the website, richardgage911.org, because what you'll find on it is uh, the, the incredible symmetrical destruction after about four seconds, all the way down the sides of all of these. We've got videos that show slow motion with individual explosions right adjacent to each other, floor by floor, it seems, uh, down the leading corner of these explosions, traveling as rapidly as the freely falling debris uh, above it. So we can see this very clearly, these individual uh, successive explosions. We also see isolated explosive ejections occurring 10, 20, even uh, 40 and 60 stories down below the uh, point of plane impacts and the zone of destruction that's beginning up above. This has no accounting in the official narrative whatsoever, but appear to be mistimed explosions. Yeah, I, I, uh, uh, for me, it was always like Tower Seven was always the smoking gun because it wasn't hit by a plane. And but I always thought I didn't know there were so many eyewitnesses that heard explosives. I'd heard a few. Uh, people write about it where I was like, oh, that's interesting. But I had no idea that it was hundreds of people that heard explosions from the towers. Um, but once I once I got a grasp of what happened maybe with Tower 7, I immediately turned my attention to 1 and 2 going, I don't know if an airplane hitting the top of that building is going to do what it did. I got suspicious about the other two as well. But whenever I'm pointing people to this topic – um, I almost always start with Tower 7 because I think it's easier. It, it alleviates that, you know, people have that image of the, the 747 hitting the building and the building coming down, and they just think that causes that. So if you can point them to Tower 7 and say nothing hit that and it came down, what? how do you explain that? Sometimes that will draw people uh, into the topic. Um and yeah, I, uh, what, is there anything else you want to say before we move on to some of the other stuff about, about, uh, this topic? Well, just also, uh, the twin towers that uh, we had so many thousands or a, few, a couple of thousand people die there mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. uh, 3000 and almost, and 
Uh, so the, the, New York and the rest of the country was kind of terrorized uh, by the jumpers and uh, mm-hmm. the, 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 the horrible events there. So we don't want to go back there and, and think about this. Yeah. Um, uh, so, uh, no, we've covered the evidence uh, pretty well. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy we had the opportunity to, to take people through the highlights of it. I, again, I encourage people to look at the website, richardgage911.org. Well, and just as a side note, too, I had another kind of thing that happened during that event that um, my my late uh, stepfather was an engineer, and we were talking about it, and I was asking him, I said, you know, di- didn't you ever think it was weird that you never saw video footage of the 747 running into the Pentagon? And he goes, yeah, you never did. I go, why would that be? And he, he was like, I don't know. Maybe they didn't catch it on camera. I'm like, no, that's the most secure building in the world. Clearly, there would be a lot of videos of this giant airplane cruising through and running into the building. But all you kind of saw was this. I don't know what's out there now, but I remember thinking it's just a flash and an explosion. And I was like, I don't know if that was a 747. I don't know what that was. But I was never really satisfied with the Pentagon story either. There was something and nobody ever talks about that. But I was like, really, if it was legitimately the 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 mainstream narrative was truthful, then on the news, you had have seen this giant thing coming like here it comes. And they never showed any of that. And they said they didn't have footage of it, which I thought was just weird. Very weird, because, uh, again, this like you said, this is the the most highly defended building in the world. Yeah. And there's cameras all around the, the Pentagon and the FBI confiscated cameras from the hotels, the gas mm-hmm. stations surrounding. Yeah. And those haven't been released. So they're certainly hiding something. We all want mm-hmm. a real investigation of what happened, not only at the world trade center, but at the Pentagon and at Shanksville as well. We all agree that, uh, Hani Hanjur, who failed Cessna flying school, uh, did not have the capability to do what's described as an aerial maneuver that fighter jets uh, could could uh, only do. Uh, so uh, it's it's real suspicious. And where does he hit? It hits uh, uh, not the vulnerable roof structure above uh, Donald Rumsfeld's office, but the. Uh, the highly reinforced, remodeled area that uh, was uh, composed of in, 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 in our naval intelligence, which was doing the auditing for the $2.3 trillion that uh, the Pentagon, uh, Donald Rumsfeld uh, of the Pentagon, had announced was uh, unaccountable for in the, just the day before 9-11, he made this announcement. Uh, so all of a sudden, all of that is uh, for, forgotten about sure. on 9-11 the next day. You know, there, there's, a, there's a saying, like, once you see something, you can't unsee it. I think, um, I, I don't know about you, but I think it's true in all of the things that I've researched. You know, I, I might not I might not always get to the whole big picture, but I've gotten damn good at seeing patterns. And I know when I'm being sort of lied to. And and I mean, we're in such a spiritual war right now, Richard. Um, we are swimming. I think that's one of the awakenings that happens is, you know, we're talking today about 9-11 and we're going to talk a little bit about COVID as well, um, that once you see where the deception is, all of a sudden you start realizing, you start listening in on what's going on. You're like, I don't know if they're telling the truth about anything, actually. And you you start to realize that this ties with this. And I think it's it's the awakening that a lot of people don't want to have. It's it's scary. Um, they it, it threatens the ego because the ego's like, please, I, I I'm afraid of change. Don't make me start to believe that they're trying to kill us or reduce the population or whatever it is that Tony's talking about. Um, and I guess, like, I just wanted to ask you, like, how, 
did did the did the 9/11 awakening lead to other ahas cuz for me uh 9/11 really wasn't my first rodeo um and so by the time covid came around um I'm like oh what are they trying to do what are these psychopaths think we're going to fall for right I I was really on it um they were pushing super hard for this new mRNA technology that Bill Gates says is great for us. And it's like, who the hell is trusting Bill Gates with their health at this point? Right. And but I got you know, I got thrown under the bus. Like, how dare you, you know, question this this billionaire who seems to think he knows everything. Um, and so I guess I just I wanted to ask you, like, how how did your awakening from 9-11 impact your kind of discernment about what else was going on, particularly, you know, nine, uh, COVID was a big deal, but I imagine that you were probably a little bit more ready to kind of see through the lies and deception. Um, I was around plenty of people that could see it, but I was also around, I'm in Seattle, man. I, I, there was a ton of people that were just buying the official narrative hook, line and sinker. I, I don't know what it was like where you were at, but. I guess it was a little more con conservative or mm. uh, uh, awake out here in Northern Idaho. Yeah. Um, where I've been for um, uh, nine years. So I, I was suspicious, certainly, because people around me were suspicious. And I had been through 9-11, mm -hmm. which was my first awakening. It was my first rodeo, 9-11. Yep. But uh, I'm I'm listening to people said so this is not like even 97, 99.97 people percent of people survive this. Why is it considered so deadly? Yeah, it's not killing any more people than the flu ever did. And why are they classifying all of these uh, uh, people that died as COVID, even though they died of a motorcycle accident? Right. Well, they tested him in the hospital because the hospitals have incentives to test them. When I found out this uh, and, and that most of the tests are false positives, uh, they're they're obviously on an agenda to exaggerate the amount of cases, which is a whole new definition, because even without symptoms, with a positive test, all of a sudden you're a case. If you go into the hospital, you get 13, the hospital gets $13,000 just for having a positive test. And uh, if they're able to get you sick, well, this, if you get sick and you go into the hospital, they get you on a regimen with um, remdesivir and, and ventilators uh, that they're screaming about. Not enough ventilators in New York, Cuomo said. Uh, well, it's just, it's just a whole it's obviously hyped up and they get $37,000 if they are able to kill you, yeah. which severe and the ventilators were doing. So yeah, I woke up to that real fast, not to mention the unsafe and ineffective uh, genetic experimental therapy that they were calling vaccines and mandating on people. I tell you, I'm seeing, I, I don't know where we're at, with the realization that, you know, maybe the vaccines weren't quite what they were promised, you know, but I, I had somebody that I, I was sitting next to, I was kind of eavesdropping a little bit. And he was saying like, God, I have gone, I'm going to a memorial service. Um, and, uh, and, and somebody goes, Oh really? And he goes, yeah. He goes, you know, I've gone to a lot of these. He goes, I asked my secretary how many I've gone to. And he goes, I've gone to 15, memorials in the last year and he goes and he goes not all of them are people in their 70s or 80s the way you would expect he goes there's plenty of people that were really young and then there was this pause and then the person goes do you think it has something to do with the vaccines and the guy goes oh i don't think it's helping you know and so <laughs> e even even the people that maybe went along with it thinking no big deal i, I mean i had vaccines when i was a kid so i, I i'm going to trust that they're these are kind of the same thing maybe they didn't do a they didn't get in the rabbit hole of mRNA and what is that exactly. Um, so, you know, they went along with it, but I think there's people now that are like, Oh man, what, what did I do? And, and they said that they're going to roll out boosters, another, like a yearly booster, but they said the, the interest in it is so low 
that it might not there might not be any point for Pfizer or whoever to roll it out because people are like, I'm not interested in doing that. So I think I think it's awakened a lot of people in a weird way. You know, they took they maybe took the vaccine and then now all this evidence and all this anecdotal evidence and these other these scientists that have been kind of talking about, look, be careful, you know, this we don't really know what this is going to do. I think it's gotten through finally because I think for the for for the most part, people aren't interested in in the next big pharma thing when it comes to this, and and that's a good thing. I think it's going to save a lot of lives to not keep getting them. Um, but and they're rolling out the next one. I mean, yeah, exactly. One of the uh, thirteen uh, uh, parallels between nine eleven and COVID that I found is a foreknowledge. Yeah, of the events. Uh, uh, th th this is extraordinary. I mean, th these two events, 9-11 and COVID-19, changed our world politically, culturally, economically, geopolitically. And so I had asked myself, were these intended outcomes of an engineered or planned event? And we have to look for patterns if we're going to answer that question and uh, fearlessly look, connect the dots. So we started finding out, oh, my God. Um, is there an elusive, powerful enemy in each case? Yeah, we got terror cells in the United States that they're trying to make us afraid with. Mm -hmm. We've got a, a virus, which is on the ATM machine. It could infect you and, and kill grandma. So there's this climate of fear that's created in each case as well, the, the second parallel. Then an extreme control of information and practices by powerful state agencies, uh, the abuse of science, you know, there's no real investigation, or this, the, the scientists are collaborating in the case of NIST, and in the case of the, uh, the Lancet, uh, which was prior to COVID, the most reputable uh, organization, uh, medical journal in the country. Um, and then we have the responses that are far more harmful than the original problem was. Yeah. Okay. I thought I, I, I heard you talk about it uh, on another show, and I thought it was interesting that you pointed out something that that you that I've heard a bunch of times, but it jumped out at me in that there's always kind of like this drill. They do drills ahead of time. And they did it for COVID too with Event 201. I think it was called Event 201, I think, right? Where they yep. were talking. The yeah. One. And so the, the question starts to become, you know, now you're hearing the WEF saying we're getting ready for uh, virus X. I don't know if that's going to be the name of it, but it's like, well, here they go again. Like it would behoove patriots and uh, people that love humanity, we the people, to watch their predictive programming, whether that's movies that they put out about AI or or any kind of thing where they're like, hey, we're gaming for this new um a virus and we want to put all these things in place that's their tell that's how you know what they're going to do because they they did it with 9-11 they did it with with uh, with covid they, there's things that they put in place where they sort of tip their hat on what they're working on right yep exactly they they, they forecast it yeah they tell you and they told us about catastrophic contagion a couple of years ago coming mm. in 2025 yeah and <laughs> As, as if, you know, my God, uh, they're, they're planning for it. And their biggest problem would be misinformation and disinformation, i.e. the truth by us. truth-tellers. Yeah, us. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's, it's gonna, we're going to spoil their, and obviously <laughs> we are, because that's what the World Economic Forum just said at their Davos. Uh, I saw that. Is, is, is the biggest problem they have <laughs> is people waking up, essentially. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I know, I know. Well, do you feel, are you optimistic right now? Like with everything's going on, like we've got, it feels like the world's hanging in the balance. Like we've got AI that's, I mean, yes, there is some pro-humanity AI that's being developed or has been developed, but we also got, we got AI creeping in on us. We've got, you know, this great reset that Klaus Schwab's and Bill Gates want to instill um, they're, they're making all these kind of nefarious plans of like how they can shape things, but you also have a lot of really good things happening. Um, and 2024, pretty much everybody I talked to is like, it is going to be, you know, a shit show. It's going to be, it's going to be good, bad, and ugly. It's a spiritual war. We're in it. Uh, don't expect it to not be a little messy. 
But I guess I wanted to ask you, like, are you are you optimistic? Are we winning? Uh, what what has you optimistic right now as we set forth in this? I think we're going to know a lot more of where we're at as a country and a world in the next 10 to 12 months. I think I think things are coming to a head and I think you're either going to the ball's going to bounce one way or the other. And I think we're going to know, OK, we can all take a deep breath or, oh, my God, here we're going to this next chapter. We're going to have to keep working to make sure we keep a hold of our freedom and our humanity and our, you know, and, and that, uh, you know, we're going to leave a country for future generations that we can be proud of and that we're, we're feeling good about, but what, what, what has you, are you optimistic? Are we winning? And and what has you optimistic right now? Depends what metrics uh, we, we look at. If we look at their positioning and power and amount of money and guns that they have, uh, it looks pretty bad. I have to admit um, but, uh, with every false flag operation like 9-11, like COVID, like Gaza, that they produce, by the way, Gaza's full of parallels to 9-11. Mm. That's an article I'm working on right now as well. Uh, and the introduction has been published, uh, on our website. Again, richardgage911.org. If we look though at the, uh, at the success that we have with every display of their uh, of their desperate um, measures deployed against us, most recently Gaza, but as you mentioned, COVID, it wakes people up. Um, people are are far more skeptical of the government, the media, the World Economic Forum than ever before. And the next uh, false flag operation, which I fear also is coming in 2024 to disrupt the political balance and and um, uh, undermine the, the election process mm-hmm. as if that wasn't already undermined. Right, right. Uh, we, have, uh, we, we have a lot of people waking up. I mean, look how many podcasters there are. There are thousands and thousands. Yeah. You know, five years ago, there were maybe uh, hundreds. So uh, it's it, it, it those podcasters, including myself and yourself, are reaching people in increasing numbers. So I'm very optimistic. Me too. I I, I think what you had pointed to before that the World Economic Forum saying our greatest threat is this awakening humanity. I think that is their Achilles heel. And I think it's our strength is to keep, keep sharing truth, uh, keep our, keep our eyes on the signal and ignore the noise. Um, Trust your gut, trust one another. And also, you know, I think we're in a point in 2024. I, I don't know how about you, but I experienced a lot of division in my circles let's say because of covid was brilliant at dividing families between mm-hmm. between concert you know libertarians and the left or you know those that quickly took the the so-called vaccines and those that didn't want to and those that wore masks all over the place and those that cho- chose not to um and i i really think 2024 and 2025 like can we get our arms back around each other? Like, I don't need to agree with everything you do. I don't, I respect your choices over there, you know, doing that, but please respect mine. And I just feel like the the better, the, the more skilled we are at seeing that um, we're not divided. We have so much more in common than they are letting on. They want to keep blaring out how divided we are, how, how uh, you know, this group doesn't, doesn't get along with that group or that group doesn't like that group. And I think the more that we can keep the conversation open, um, own our own shadow, to use a men's work uh, term, you know, and, um, you know, I, I have work to do in there because, you know, I, I got ostracized by my friends and I need, there's some healing there for me. That needs to happen, and 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 uh, from my end, I, there's work for me to do on there, um, and I think that's going to go a long ways too. Because I want everybody to 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 experience, especially if we if we win this, and I believe we're going to. I think we're going to see a big shift, um, and I'm very optimistic. I think we have allies 
Um, there's a, a lot of hard work to do, but I feel like we're doing the hard work. And I think there's people that are pulling for us. Um, and yeah, I, I, is there any last words you've got? I wanted to give you a chance to tell us what you're doing with Richard Gage, 911.org. That's where people can find you. But uh, is there anything else on there that you want to point people to or, or, uh, or a podcast or anything that you got going on? Yeah, we do have a, a podcast. Gail and I have been uh, I, uh, 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 we've gone out on our own from AE 911 Truth a couple of years ago now and uh, are very, very active. Uh, I am, well, we've done 85 different podcasts together interviewing people in and around the 911 Truth movement. Mm -hmm. Uh, to go deeper so people get some breadth in addition to the documentaries like 9-11 explosive evidence experts speak out on our website and uh, many other documentaries and uh, we have also uh, done uh, speaking engagements around the country uh, a dozen of them uh, this year uh, well uh, this summer and this year and um we are now working on the article uh, with uh, Gaza. We published the introduction. That's on our website. The, the parallels between Gaza and 9-11 are extraordinary. I'd like to just mention them if we have time. Um, no, we, we, we don't have time to go into those right now. We got to wrap it up. And, uh, but we'll, I'll mention it again where they can find that in the, in the outro as well. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And I'm just uh, delighted to, to uh, be woken up myself to uh, this incredible uh, trinity of parallels. Yeah. 9-11 uh, just got me started. That's beautiful. Richard, thank you so much for coming on Basecamp for Men and sharing all your insight and your wisdom. It's super great to talk to you. I love all the work you're doing. I am going to go and uh, and click around again on your, on your website and find out. Uh, and I'm going to go look at the Gaza thing because I'm really interested in that. So thank you so much. Maybe we can uh, catch our breath and, and, and do another show uh, once some things unfold and things crystallize in this year. Uh, but I just really enjoy talking to you, brother. Thank you. And thanks for all the great work you're doing. Oh, thank you, Tony. Appreciate it. I love talking to Richard, and I love what he had to say about how we all need to be courageous and be willing to look and look for patterns that reveal the truth. I don't know about you, but the 9-11 evidence is an absolute slam dunk at this point, isn't it? To still be in denial about it is to be a late adopter to understanding what's really going on. I'm not sure anyone wants to be the last one to arrive at the truth. Are you following me? Go find Richard and his excellent work at www.richardgage911.org. Thank you, base campers, and we'll see you around the fire next week. If you find value in our show and wish to show us some love, we are now making that very easy to do. You simply go to www.basecampformen.com and click on Donate Support Basecamp. You'll find an easy way to make either monthly donations for as little as $5 a month, or you can donate just once. We love the monthly donation and hope to build this up over the coming months, but any show of support is greatly appreciated, honestly. Thank you for your support and for helping to keep Basecamp as a resource on your hero's journey. That's our show for today. Thank you for listening. Men, good luck in all your endeavors and good luck on your hero's journey. This is Tony Rezac, and you're listening to Base Camp for Men.